I got Alexa Silvaggio in the house today. The show is called Multi Hyphenate, and it's like, who could fit this more? You know, she's been an actress, singer, musical theater, world renowned yogi, multiple business owner, amazing friend, great person, mother of Hugo. I mean, the list is endless. So I just want to <laughs> welcome you, my friend, and thank you so much for spending your time with me this morning. You're such a gift. Thank you for um, creating a space for just a rad conversation, which we tend to have. So, yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, so let's start at the beginning. Where are you from originally? <laughs> Yeah, originally I'm from San Luis Obispo, California. It's about halfway between LA and San Francisco on the central coast. Uh, beautiful place to grow up, super boring uh, if you're a kid, but as an adult, it's like a dream come true. I go back to visit um, family that's there and it's it's a yes for me. Oh, um, could you see yourself back there? Um, I, I think like now that I'm in like a super meaningful relationship, I, I see how people like get married and like move there and have kids. Um, and while that may not be like my trajectory, I could definitely like retire there. It's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. space. Stunning. What's, so what's your relationship to it now and how does it differ from when you were growing up there? Yeah, for sure. Um, when I was a kid growing up in slow, it felt like there just wasn't a ton to do. I mean, I was very fortunate because I was really immersed in dance. Mm. Um, I went to school every morning and I went straight to dance from like 3.30 to 7.30 and then did my homework, you know, and went to bed. Sometimes didn't even do my homework. Um, but it, so that was kind of my life. Luckily, I had that. But there were a lot of kids that really didn't have much of anything. Um, and so there's just, there's a bit of a, I mean, it's called slow for a reason. Like it's just mm. a really slow town. Mm. Um, but then you get older and it's like wine country and it's, um, there's really beautiful restaurants and there's like a really nice kind of art scene and great shopping. But like when you're under 21, you're just kind of like, what am I, yeah. what am I doing? You're like hanging <laughs> Hanging out at the sandwich shops and stuff. Exactly. <laughs> High street deli, 100%. <laughs> exactly. So you, one of the questions I love to ask is, how did you find your way to art? I know I know a little bit about that, and you already kind of brought it up with dance. So it feels like art was, I don't want to say forced upon you, but didn't. Is there was there a choice at that young age? I think there was a choice, but I think that if I wanted to be fully embraced by my family, I was going to fall in line and, and go the dance route. My mom owned a, a very prestigious dance school um, and she was a total badass. You know, she had the whole town took class from her at some point. Wow. And, um, you know, before the age of 14, I had done, I think, eight international dance tours from everywhere from Cuba to China to Spain to Russia. Um, so it was very intense. Um, but I think for me, it was like, if I wanted to spend time with mommy, mm. I took dance classes. Mm. Otherwise I really just wouldn't have had, had much time or space with my mom. Um, and my dad was, um, an architect. He still is an architect and he, yeah, I don't know. He was just kind of like checked out. So I didn't mm. I didn't get a ton of time with him. So it was like it, it just made sense that if I wanted some sort of connection um and if I wanted connection to myself because I found so much power being in my body. I've always been a very strong body. Um and so having kind of an embodiment practice from a very young age mm -hmm. was really 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 powerful for me and and definitely um, gave me a sense of groundedness in a town where kids were not knowing what the fuck to do with themselves. Yeah, the, those type of towns, you know, I grew up in a similar town. You can get into a lot of trouble without some direction or discipline, even if it's forced discipline. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Did your mother, where'd she get the art from? Because then obviously that's where you got the art from. Yeah, totally. Um, She started... 
uh, dance at a very young age. I mean, there's pictures of her as a three-year-old in a little tutu. Um, And she started with classical ballet and got really into the ballroom scene, actually. She was a a ballroom dancer for a very long time. She had a um, a partner named Clay Aiken that she loved, who ended up dying of AIDS um, in the 80s. And um, yeah, she traveled the world as a ballroom dancer. These were the days of competitive ballroom dance. You know, now we have Dancing with the Stars, which is actually like my mom loved that just because she was like, oh my God, like ballroom is back. Um, because it was such a such a thing in the like 50s, 60s, 70s even. Um, and yeah, and she she went to school, she went to UC Sacramento and studied to be an English teacher. And my dad was an architect. He was going to uh, Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. And so she moved, she had finished school before him, moved to San Luis Obispo and was trying to get a teaching job. And there just weren't any available, um, despite her, you know, brilliance. My mom was really a, a brilliant lady. And there weren't any teaching jobs, so she decided to open a, a school out of her garage. And uh, she started with one student wow. and ended up with, you know, there were times where the dance school had over a thousand kids attending it. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was a big, it was a big school. And it ended up um, having three studios, and um, it was kind of just her thing it it ended up exploding and she ended up starting the civic ballet which was like a separate entity which was a non-profit um ballet company uh that's been going on for 47 years now i believe 47 years um my brother now uh carrie like he's the artistic director of the civic ballet and the owner of the dance school my mom passed two years ago um so it was it was kind of always there even my aunt my my mom's sister owns a dance school now as well it's like the whole family is very in that world. <laughs> Amazing. Now I, I feel that. So you left dance at some point. Like at some point you had to sort of put down the shoes, right? Or slippers. Sure. So do you remember that? And do you remember, and I'm jumping around timeline a little bit because this may be later in your life, but that's okay. <clears throat> do you remember that choice was it natural? Because I remember like my last wrestling match, which meant a lot to me in high school wrestling. Mm-hmm. I remember coming off the mat and just like weeping in my, because I had already made the choice of not pursuing this anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have a moment like that or did it show up different for you? Yeah, for sure. And thank you for sharing that. It's such a, um, I was just talking to a client about this yesterday about like when something dies, something else gets born. You can't have birth without death and you can't have death without birth. Um, and so there's such a bittersweet quality to saying goodbye to something that's been such a pivotal and like profound part of your life for a ridiculous amount of time. Um, but yeah, oh my God, it was such a deliberate uh, choice in the sense where I didn't know that it was the choice I was making at the time, but it was the right choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I was dancing all through high school. I ended up uh, going to Syracuse University for musical theater where I developed a really terrible eating disorder. Mm. And I was severely anorexic. Um, I was eating between 150 to 200 calories a day, dancing three three hours oh at least a day. Yeah, I was super, super sick. And it was tough because I was working. I, I ended up booking a tour my sophomore year. It was my first union gig i was super proud i was like the only working kid in college took a semester off and then i booked another show right after that so i'd I'd take another semester off and then i was getting called back for broadway i was supposed to go do jersey boys on broadway and it was like this whole thing that was really reaffirming that like the body Mm. that i was in which was deeply deeply ill was really good Mm. and getting me work and I, I looked the part. I looked like a little tiny, like, dancer, kind of androgynous, really. Like, I'm a very curvy person. And mm-hmm. and I just looked very um, androgynous, which yeah. is very not me. Um, and I hit my rock bottom with anorexia. And I knew I had to take a step back because I would... I would try to go back into the audition space and there was just like, my head was like, you're too fucking fat for this. 
Mm. You're too fat. You can't, you're not going to book this now. You look like a normal person. Like you look healthy. The word mm. healthy was like deeply insulting for me. I get it. Um, yeah. Pe- people would be like, oh my God, you look so good. You look healthy. And I was like, mm. like rage. Um, and so I had to take a step back because I just couldn't even audition. Like I, you know, it's like I was the the obstacle. My mind was the obstacle. Mm. I'd walk through those rooms and psych myself out completely. It wouldn't have mattered if I was the most talented person in the room. I was psyching myself out so terribly. I, I could not, I could not be in that space. And, um, and so I took a step back and I ended up becoming a yoga teacher. And I thought that like, okay, well, the yoga teacher thing is going to like help me be in my body. It's going to help me heal. It's also going to probably help me like lose weight. Mm which was like definitely part of the goal at the time, um, which I never fucking needed to lose it. It was just my story. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do all these things and then go back to being in the musical theater world. Mm. And so that was originally the intention. It was just going to kind of supplement, you know, I didn't want to work in a restaurant because that was quite triggering for a ex anorexic. Um, despite the fact that I had done it and it was, it was really quite triggering. It's terrible eating hours. You're like working yeah. and then you're yeah. getting off midnight and you're starving and you're like, uh, my therapist told me I have to eat. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> so you end up eating too much or eating too little. It just was like really triggering. Um, so yeah, I began teaching and I ended up really healing myself and in turn bringing, um, like a very deeply powerful and meaningful class to people um, where really, you know, every teacher has an intention. Uh, Some teacher's intention is to kick your ass. Some teacher's intention is to allow you to relax. Some teacher's intention is to fill in the blank, right? My intention was to leave you with something that you could take off the mat and into your life. Mm. Some sort of a message, some sort of a feeling, some sort of a sensation, some sort of an experience that, that you could then, remember enough to then let it permeate into your human experience because on the mat is great we love we love the work on the mat it's a beautiful practice but if you're getting off the mat and you're getting into your car and you're like flipping the bird on everybody on the freeway and you're like shoving you know chips down your mouth and not thinking about it and you're spending six hours on social media like it's probably not like it's not the purpose right um so that was really the like kiss of death to the to musical mm-hmm. theater situation, but it really gave birth to a meaningful and powerful career. And I ended up teaching all over the world from Bhutan to Italy, to Mexico, to everywhere. Um, and I'm so grateful for that experience, which led me to an abundance of other things, but uh, we could, we could talk about that for, for 17 years. <laughs> no, and we can definitely. So it's, you know, knowing you and I'm just sort of like articulating it in this way, you love to help people. Like that seems to be a core at everything you do, you know, your businesses, your practice, even art is giving back in a sense to me, at least, because it's, you're not doing it in your bedroom by yourself only, right? You're doing it for people. Has that always been a piece of you? Or have you ever thought about it like that? I think it has. I mean, I think that um, Ram Dass said it so well, you know, love everybody and tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And really a huge piece of that is service. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not selfless. I definitely get so much out of it. So it's it's not coming from a selfless place. I'm not a, I'm not <laughs> in any way, shape, or form uh, on that that plane of consciousness of just like yes, it's all for you. Like there's so much nourishment that that I get from it. But I also do think that a huge part of my integration in life and and part of the lesson I'm here to learn is also to to receive because there is a brace against that for me it's a deeply vulnerable thing to do um so i'm i'm my uh my flex of of serve Mm -hmm. is pretty 
pretty strong, but my flex of weak is a little weak. Mm. Um, or my flex of uh, receivership yeah. is. Oh, receivership. What about you? What? what about you with receivership? Where are you at with receivership? I feel like you're, I mean, you're like, you're the service king as well. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it probably comes from having to serve the family a lot, whether that was emotionally or even physically, like doing labor <laughs> at mm-hmm. a young age. So that's where I know that comes from, at least. Um, it was like, at least the way I was taught, you couldn't receive just to receive. You had to earn it. And like, so what does that mean? We're just constantly always trying to earn or like, you know, love essentially. So it's, um, it's a challenge for me to receive, especially like if I haven't felt like I earned it in some way, it's kind of, I almost don't trust it. Mm-hmm. beyond beyond it being uncomfortable even it's like what is this what's your angle because this is not how the exchange works i have to do something that equates what you just gave me so right. now i'm in de- you know it almost causes me not almost it's stressful totally um so it's really the key for me has been slowing down and seeing what's true because as I do that, I'm really noticing how often I fudge the truth with a little extra zhuzh here and a little extra salt and pepper there just to make it that tasty victim meal that gets me going, you know? So that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. I think I'm doing better as I work on it. It's not, and time, you know, understanding like, wow, that other way of being was really stressful. It was really hard on me, and now it's hard on others. Because I'm protesting. I'm making sure people feel what I'm feeling around me so I don't feel crazy or alone. Yeah, that's how it's been showing up for me. Feels right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, so you went to Interlochen, which is a, we're backtracking a little bit, but that's cool. where you went to high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to high school, um, boarding school in Michigan, Interlochen Arts Academy. It's um, it was so legendary. Like I truly look back at high school and I'm like, that shit was bomb. Um, college was really tough. Obviously, I was super sick, but. Um, but just the education and the um, permission that my high school gave us was like really exceptional. Mm. Um, All so girls or co-ed? Co-ed. I mean, I'd say it was like 95% gay men. Um, and f- uh, so those 5% of the straight boys, wow, they did, they, they killed it, <laughs> killed it. Sure. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was co-ed. really fun um and it was great to go to boarding school and like be on my own uh, at such a young age and really like learn how to do that I felt like in many ways I was kind of already on my own at home um so it wasn't like this huge adjustment I like knew what to do and Mm. I just had permission to fully express we went to school from 8 a.m to 6 p.m super long days um tuesday through saturday our our days off were sunday monday because we the the townies we called them didn't like us very much because we were like the weird artsy fartsy kids Mm. so they wanted to like create a little space on the weekends um in case we like went into town to like go shopping or do whatever um oh yeah we got like yeah it was really really wild um we had a a lot of international students and a lot of gay students yeah. and so a lot of kids and took and this is the 90s this is the 90s this is late 90s early 2000s yeah, yeah it was crazy it was oh, crazy that's right. early 2000s yeah. yeah yeah but still i mean it's like same same ones together yeah. <laughs> they're the same they're totally the same um they loved it did you ever have in entertainment or anywhere i know there was something in business with your name, but I've noticed every guest has a bit of a story 
with their name. Like one had to, what, cause I was looking at her IMDB and she was going by a different, more whitewashed, essentially easier to pronounce uh, last name. And I've checked in with almost every guest and there's always something. So did you ever have a consideration where you're like, maybe I'll change Salvaggio to something a little more simple, simple, or maybe translate it to its meaning in English or. Right. Right. Um, Funny enough, when I was nine years old, my mom sent me on my first dance audition um, for Bobby Ball Dance Agency. Oh, wow. Doesn't even exist anymore. Um, But it was it was a thing at the time. And at, she changed my name. She changed my name to Alexa Lee. I don't know why Lee worked for her, wow. but she decided I was Alexa Lee. Um, and then, <laughs> which which I ended up getting an agent, which was very fun. Um, but it was, it. I didn't like go out. It was too mm-hmm. far away. Like I just mm-hmm. didn't come down for any auditions. No one would drive me. Um, so that didn't pan out. Alexa Lee, scrap it. But so I've always been Alexa Salvaggio. When I got my equity card, when I got my SAG card, it stayed Salvaggio. But when I started my chocolate business, mm-hmm. um, my first name that I had was Savage, which is controversial. I I found out um, because a lot of the Native American community did not love the name Savage, which is understandable. But Salvaggio is literally the the translation. It's not. It's, it's literally what that word means. Salvaggio yeah. translates the savage it, in Italian. It's tough, man, because I love the word savage because it means something different to me, right, than right. it does. And that's what I find so sort of deflating these days with words. It's like they're only, only, only as powerful as you let them be. Of course. Of course. So if you're oh. getting knocked up by a word, that's because you're, you're letting yourself get knocked up by a word. For fucking sure. I mean, the um, get out. I love etymology. I think it's fascinating. But the word, I hope we can cast on this because I'm going to. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, great, great. The word cunt actually comes from an African word, kunt, which means crown, like as in where you uh, crown a baby. Oh, like yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's also like another word for queen, like is where you crown your child. Wow. So like we've turned that word into like an insult, but it literally means crown. <laughs> Whoa. That is wild. Yeah. I know that the where words come from and how they shift and change is so fascinating. Oh my God. Absolutely. Like, think of all the language we've lost too. Like it's just really interesting. When I read old books and I'm like, what the fuck? Wait, what the we yeah. we we used to say that like a normal conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we did interlock and we did, we're in New York now where we've been doing your yoga practice. What's happening with that? I know you grew it and then you were like, "Mm, LA, right? So what was, what was that choice? How did that feel? Yeah. 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 Um, so I was a maniac in New York. I mean, I was like hustling and I was killing it. Like I was teaching all the people and teaching like seven classes a day and making a good living. And it was amazing. Um, and frankly, I was like exhausted. I was working six days a week teaching way too many classes and I loved New York. I still love New York. I think it's one of the most powerful cities in the world like the energy there is a different energy Mm. um but there was definitely a part of me that like needed to slow down and i knew that but i was running on this rat race and just trying to make it and um the shit really hit the fan um in i guess it would be 2015 my mom got diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer Mm. And my mom was someone I'd always really longed to be deeply close with. Um, But there was just a kind of a barrier of intimacy with her uh, because she wore such a mask um, and didn't really allow people to see her in anything other than shine, right? Anything Mm. other than like, I have it. 
I'm killing it. Mm. I'm whatever. Um, and so I, you know, that's, that's like sweet and all, but like, you really don't know anyone until you've seen like the multiple flavors that are available to a person. Sure. Uh, and like, that's just, that just is it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, um, you want to be in a relationship with someone, like have your first fight and then, mm-hmm. and then you actually know a little bit more about who they yeah. are. Um, and I hadn't really ever seen, seen my mom in any other other light which is sounds pleasant but it's, it's like deeply um disconnected you know and, and when my mom it's also not true completely and, it's you're, tr- and you're feeling it too for me at least it was like oh i'm crazy or i'm bad because i can't do what you're doing i can't i'm not the same Right. Like not the same. And, and also like, don't want to be the same, but like, Mm. also I like feel separate. It's just, it's it's separating. Um, and so when my mom got diagnosed with something, we weren't sure what it was yet. Um, it was very clear to me though. I've always had a very deep connection to my intuition and it was very clear to me that, that I needed to be near her. And um, she had this cough. Right? It was just literally just a cough, and it uh, it turned out that she actually had uh, what's called a pleural effusion, which is when your lungs begin to fill up with fluid. Um, which I think is is wildly ironic that ovarian cells weep. Mm. This person who I'd never seen as anything other than shiny and having their shit together, her cancer was weeping. Mm. Um, and so, so I, I, you know, we kind of figured out where she was going to get treatment and all of that. And it turned out, okay, we found someone really wonderful in San Francisco. So I actually ended up moving to San Francisco for a year and I lived with her. Um, we got an apartment and lived, I, I lived with her and took her to every doctor's appointment, every chemotherapy. I, you know, got her Reiki. We had appointments with the like wooiest of woo woos. Um, and did Western medicine as well, because this, it was, it was, they, they gave her, I think they gave her six months to live at diagnosis and she ended up living six years. Um, so, you know, just handling it from a, like a metaphysical perspective or like just trying acupuncture, like it, it was too far gone. She was, she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have made it. I'm, I'm quite clear on that. Um, so that first year was really, really tough. There were multiple surgeries. And so I really took a break from teaching and just became like a full on caretaker. Mm. And um, I was, you know, I was single at the time. I don't have kids. Like I, my job was one that I could pick up and move. It wasn't like I was in a desk job where I had to show up um, five days a week to some sp- space so it was actually like wildly convenient for me to be the person that did that Mm -hmm. Um, but it was also of course really really difficult I mean I had been on my own since I was 14 so um so to (laughs) then be working with my mother who was actively dying uh, and also you're trying to mend a relationship too it sounds like and maybe both partners aren't on the same dance floor, so to speak, for that Sorry. mending. <clears throat> but yeah. I know towards the end, at least, she was definitely meeting you where she could, it felt like. Like she did a lot of growing on her end. Majorly. Um, <clears throat> and I don't want to galvanize the whole interview with her because I'm here for you. Mm. Um. But I do want. I did want to touch base on that because it's such. It was such a big piece of your life for almost the last decade. I mean, obviously your whole life, your mother. But you know, specifically, like you showed the fuck up, and no one could ever take that from you. But it cost you something, right? Without a doubt, can't have birth without that. Mm. Can't have death without birth. I I gave birth to this caretaker role, and uh, my my relationships died. I mean, like mm. my social life died my um sense of self died in a lot of ways i really gave myself so wholeheartedly to to her healing um and she ended up again 
six years was a long run with what she had. Um, and, you know, we got to the point where things started to like be a little bit more steady. Mm. And so I moved down to LA because it was, um, I had friends here, you know, it felt really good to like, I didn't have much of a community in San Francisco. Um, and the weather's better <laughs> and I could do what I was doing and I could get up to San Francisco in 45 minutes, mm. you know, like it was yeah. like quick. I could, there's a million flights there a day. If something were to happen, I could be there, but I didn't need to like be in it. Mm -hmm. so much. Um, and so, yeah, I moved down, down to LA and, um, was just a fucking mess when I first moved here. As we all are. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Bless, bless that mess. Bless it's that mess. Yeah, definitely. And definitely. so where does Rich and Savage show up in this picture, in this timeline? Like, when did you, because just for people who don't know, Alexa's an amazing chef, cook, every baker, however you want to they're all different baking's a science cooking's a feeling but you're good at both very good so how did you like what was yeah how'd you find your way to savage yeah well you know i i think probably the hiatus from teaching mm. 27 classes a week <laughs> yeah. really gave me that like oh fuck i don't like because that was how I made a living doing that. Like, that's how you make a living as a yoga teacher. You teach all the time and you mm. lead big international retreats and you make a ton of money. And that's how you make like a nice living for yourself. And I moved to LA and I was like, I can't do that hustle anymore. Like, I don't have it. I don't have the time. I don't have the desire. I don't have the awareness. Like, I've been caretaking my mother. Like, I don't have it, but I need to support myself um, financially. And so I was like, how can I make this? this practice, this ritual of slowing down and having an experience scalable. Like how mm. can I actually do that? And I've always, um, I've always loved, you know, cooking and baking and all of these things. And which is highly ironic considering, you know, I spent years of my yeah. life not eating. Right? <laughs> but, but we, we turn our mess into our message mm. and my mess was around um, food and my body. And so it became my message. It was the message of it's safe to eat something pleasurable. It's safe to slow down. It's safe to be in your body. It's safe to uh, savor something and really make it last, right? Because that's what we're doing on the yoga mat too. Mm. Right, we're in a pose, and we're not just going okay on to the next pose. We're going, hold on, I'm going to breathe in this pose, and uh, do I love this pose or do I hate this pose? Mm. Right? Like, wow, does this one feel really good or does this one feel like sticky and I want out of it? Well, it doesn't matter because you're going to sit with all of it. Mm. That's the point, right? It's like if you can sit with it on the mat, you can sit with it off the mat. If you can sit with the uncomfortable warrior three that I'm making you hold for five minutes, then you're going to be able to sit with the discussion with your with your partner about mm. like having a whatever having a yeah. connection site or having an open relationship or having a you can sit in that conversation right um and it was the same thing with with chocolate i was like i want people to be able to sit with a really good thing because that was my mess i mm. didn't want to sit with food at all that's why i didn't eat <laughs> right so i wanted people to be able to practice sitting in comfort and pleasure mm. especially as women we're really taught that our pleasure is bad Mm -hmm. uh, you know i think glennon doyle says it really beautifully and, and obviously men have a whole other straight jacket whole other fucked up straight jacket but i'll speak for the women at this moment glennon doyle said it really beautiful beautifully uh one of the highest compliments you can give a woman is that she's so selfless mm. um, oh you're so selfless mm. and when you really translate what that means it it means you're lot like you've lost yourself mm. and like you're giving to everybody else first. And so to kind of reclaim a moment, even if it's just a fucking bite of chocolate, you know, a moment to slow down and, and experience conscious pleasure, not just check out pleasure. We're good at that. Scroll on TikTok for six hours. Yeah, it's pleasurable, but it's not nourishing. Mm. 
Um, good distinction. Right? Like, they feel good. It feels good to do that. But it's like, it's just, like, it actually leaves you feeling more empty. It's like more isn't necessarily more. Slower is more. Mm-hmm. Like, slower t- is more. Slower is more. Like, Dr. Sam Radar said it really beautifully. She was a massage therapist for a long time before she became Dr. Sam Radar, a psychologist. And when she was in massage school, she learned that if someone says, can you go harder, you go slower. Mm. You don't go harder. You just go slower because then they can really feel you. And the same thing goes with food. The same thing goes for sex. The same goes for whatever it is that you're doing. You want it to feel it more, go slower. Mm. And that was why you know I created Savage. I, our slogan at the beginning was, in a world full of chaos, loving yourself is a savage act. Mm. That it was like righteous to like mm-hmm. slow down and, and like give yourself a piece of pleasure. Um, and like, it was a really great idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a really cool concept. And I was really proud of it. There was a QR code on the back that led to a breathwork ritual. So mm-hmm. if people didn't know how to slow down, like here, let me teach you. I was a yoga and meditation teacher. Like I have tools for that. So you scan the QR code on the back, you get a two minute breathwork ritual that gets you really rich with presence so that you can really savor your chocolate experience. And that was what, you know, when we had the kind of debacle with the name Savage, I was a startup and a a new company. And I was like, I just, I surrender. Like, I know I'm pissing people off right now. And I, um, the last thing I want to do is A, offend anybody and B, like, I have an uphill battle as a startup. Mm. Like, I'm good. I'm all set. Um, and so I changed the name to rich, R I T C H, um, which again, it's about getting rich with presence. And I think it's kind of a fun transformation to go from being savage to rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, for me personally, you know, the scrappy, like, I'm going to hustle and make it work to like, just rich with presence, like just embodied and, and really wholehearted. Um, and yeah, the the company rebranded, and we got several new flavors and um, different types of breath work that accompany it. And we did a partnership with um, Kate Walsh, uh, who has a company. Yeah, so fun. Who has a, a company called Boyfriend Perfume, mm. and her like her uh, mo, her ethos is really similar to ours as a brand. It's all about. Um, that you're this like her her thing is like you're the center of your own universe and like you deserve to you know be nourished and loved and I was like that sounds familiar like say kind of same um and so we partnered up and we did a custom flavor for her and it's been it's been a really cool journey and and now I'm letting this go I'm selling this so I'm selling rich which is wild congrats it's amazing and a bear and a bear saying <clears throat> Alexa has a many, many accolades in the yoga community, but she is that good. You know, you sometimes you hear these things and you're like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've been to a lot of yoga in my life and I you are my favorite teacher, unbiased. And I think a lot of people would say that. So there's a reason you were going around the world teaching it. And if anybody could get a hold of your breathwork videos and things of that nature, they absolutely should. Because I use them, mm-hmm. and they're awesome. And I know other people have used them. So kudos mm-hmm. to you, my friend, and kudos on the sale because you definitely deserve it. Um, and I know that's just opening up something else for you, which for sure. I know there was some in- serious investigation, I can call it, into the psilocybin space to marry the chocolate and the psilocybin business um i don't know if you want to talk about that where you're at with that because you were really like tip of the spear in oregon on the board the whole thing so what's going on with that man first of all you're it's such a gift to have a conversation with you and and it was also also always such a privilege to have you in the room Hmm. thank you and just bringing your presence to the space um 
Yeah. So that was such a huge, so psychedelics have been a huge part of my own journey with healing and back to my mom. Yeah, for sure. Um, And back to my mom too, it was like, that was really a pivotal transformational point in our relationship. My mom and I, um, when she really wanted to embark on Because you guys can meet each other there. That's the people don't understand. That's like you're both uncaged and you meet on this in this place. It's pretty fascinating. It's wild. Oh my God. And um yeah. And so there was so much healing that she had in that space. Um, you know, she was terrified of her own death, mm. which is, you know, if you look at the studies out of Johns Hopkins and Harvard and NYU, you know, the huge benefits are had for people with eating disorders, PTSD, and end-of-life anxiety, mm-hmm. amongst everything else. But those are the three that they tend to study because they're really hard to treat. They show right? up. They show up big, too. They show up super big. Mm -hmm. and um, my mom's end-of-life anxiety was really bad, and understandably, I mean, it's like you go from being the owner of a dance school, dancing for your living, you know, whatever, super healthy her whole life. She went back to school at 50 and became a psychotherapist. She had started this new career. She had rekindled with her high school sweetheart, right? She's, Mm -hmm. like, in love, and and then she's, like, you have six months to live. And so it just was, it was tough. And so psychedelics really gave her freedom. She, she wrote a letter to me before she died. And in the letter, she said that, um, without, without some of the experiences that I had given her, particularly psychedelic, um, her, her journey would have just been filled with suffering. Hmm. And there was so much learning and growth that happened because of that medicine for her and I, of course. Um, but that was, you know, again, take your mess, turn it into your message. Like a huge mess of mine was, was the death of my mother. And um, so that was kind of what gave me the impetus to get into this space, measure 109 in Oregon state legalized psychedelics for therapeutic use. Um, in a licensed facility. So it's still federally illegal, but it is legal in Oregon State. And so I jumped through all the hoops. I was, I mean, I did everything. I hired the legal team um, and hired a financial advisor and really kind of worked through Worked through everything. The brand is beautiful. It's called Altered, A-L-T-A-R slash E-D, like an altar where you pray. Um, or connect, or get married, or, you know, the, a momentous place, right? Mm. An altar is a, is a momentous place. Um, but then, of course, it's a life, it's a mind-altering medication. And um, basically, because of the ways that the laws have been made out, and because of the ways um, in which it's, because it's still federally illegal, it's really not a super scalable business. And so I'm sitting in this space of like, I've been working on it for the last few years, really since the death of my mother. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I'm sitting in this place of unknown because I, I don't think it makes financially good sense to do it. No. Um, which is such a bummer. Yes. And it's the way that they've, the way that they've legalized it. I mean, people are just going to keep doing a black market yeah. and that's, fine it's fine but if you're gonna legalize it like just fucking legalize it (laughs) it's really really tough to make it to make it scalable with all the regulations and the um just the laws or in in in, again like you think of oh well it's, it's legal but the federal illegality makes it so you cannot get insurance yeah i was gonna say makes it business wise very tricky right very tricky so like you can't get insurance if someone has a bad experience they decide to sue you you better have a lot of money invested um or or you can't even use a bank 
federal if it's federally illegal, right? A bank doesn't want federally illegal cash. So you're using cash only. So that cuts out a whole spectrum of humans who could put it on a credit card. You can't do that. You need cash. And and you know, to and then in like you can't sell it as a microdose because people have to come every day to take it. They can't take it home. They take it at the facility. Imagine having to go to your doctor to pick up your Prozac every day. Like people wouldn't fucking, yeah. right? Like people wouldn't go do it. They'd yeah. be like, hey, I'm gonna go to Mexico and yeah. fucking buy it in bulk. Yeah. Fuck you guys. Like yeah. I'm not driving 20 minutes to go pick up a pill that like makes my serotonin okay. Yeah. Like it's that's literally what a microdose does, but because it's a federally illegal substance, you cannot take it and bring it home. Mm-hmm. So then like the scalability of that, like that would be something that people could actually afford versus like a macro experience where like, really, if you're going to sell it like that, it's got to be a lot of money because you're paying crazy taxes because the government has 280E, which is this tax that's like just pillaging. It's pillaging Mm -hmm. to the business owners of this in this Mm -hmm. space. So you can't just be like, oh, we'll make it affordable, like $500 a journey. No, we're talking five grand a journey. And you got to pay cash because we, because then if somebody sues us again, like Mm -hmm. we have to have a lot of cash on board because we don't have any support and you can't file for bankruptcy. So it's because it's federally illegal. So if your business Mm -hmm. fails, you're just fucked. So Mm -hmm. it's just out of basically every angle. I mean, I just had a conversation with one of the lawmakers a few days ago in Colorado because measure 122 was just passed in Colorado, which is also legalizing psilocybin for therapeutic use. And he told me, he's like, straight up, girl, like, just as a friend, like, please don't do this. Like, you're like, it's going to be years until you see a return. He's like, with weed, with cannabis legalization, it behooved people to get in early because people could buy it and take it home. You could go Mm -hmm. to a doctor and literally go, oh, you have back pain. And then you can buy as much weed as you want and take it home. People could make money doing it. Mm -hmm. He's like, with psilocybin, it's it's not scalable. He's like, just as your friend, please don't do this. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And so I, if one was thinking about it. <laughs> no, I'm glad you investigated because now we know, right? We really know. And it's I saw that you're starting a podcast. And when I saw that, I was so happy because it feels so right. Because I feel like you're one of these people who's up there, for me at least, in terms, I mean, you've been more profound in my life, but I mean, for general people, you're like a Mark Groves, an Aubrey Marcus, someone like that to me, whether people like them or not, I get a lot out of what they have to say. And I feel like people will absolutely get a lot from you as well. Thank you. Well, same. Sean, you're one of the greatest, um, greatest teachers I know. You're like the embodiment of a conscious masculine. It's really amazing. Have you have you always felt like that? I feel like I've known, I've seen the transformation, but I'd love for you to share a little bit about about that relationship into like this very deeply conscious masculine that you embody so beautifully. Ah, thank you very much. No, no. Um, you know, I love our mess becomes our message because, you know, my dad, he'd only said it a few times, but I kind of relate. He'd be like, I was one choice away from being a criminal. Hmm. And that's how I feel. You know, I grew up around and it's weird. Even now I'm like, how do I tell my story without telling my story? The Mm -hmm. emotional piece of it. So I'll do my best here, but grew up around a lot of violence you know, not a lot of nurturing. When I really reflect back, you know, my parents didn't really touch me aside from disciplinary action. So I was like out of my, I was like, use, I knew how to use my body, but I wasn't in my body. I was severely unconscious, but deep down there was this voice screaming uh, to be let out. And he was also like the kind, like my authentic self is sweet, thoughtful goofy but I had to build this big shell you know I'm a big gur guy 
and I'm pretty um, sure I built the muscles to protect this big heart. And because I don't really feel like muscle guy, you know, but I, I feel that. And um, my journey started when my dad took me to lunch at age 23 up here in Studio City. And he apologized for his words, being a horrendous father. And that just mm. like really shocked me because he was my hero. Mm. And I was like, no, you know, like, what are you talking about? Um, but over the years, I couldn't escape that. And I started to like even pull in like the proof and be like, oh, because he told me, he's like, I did the math. I was only in your life two and a half years. Hmm. And I was like, whoa, that's like nothing, you know? <laughs> and so this, I thought I had a father, but really I had an absentee father. And that created its own weird dynamics, you know? I'm like postulating that I have this guy, but really I haven't seen him in nine months and I get a phone call every once in a while that's like, I love you, which is disconnecting too because it's teaching me what love is. Love's a phone call, but not action. And so, yeah, I think, and I'm still there, like I was telling you earlier, I had maybe the craziest therapy session of my life this morning before we got on. And I'm also currently on a microdose, um, which I started because I was in a really dark space a few weeks ago for a few weeks, you know, getting down to the like suicide levels of myself. And um, but I'm proud of myself. I reached out for support. Got it. Reached out to Suzanne, my art therapist. And so, yeah, this morning I was just in it. I started the, these next 45 days. I'm doing no booze, no weed, 12 to 8 eating. I just kind of snapped in a sense, like, not like snapped, I broke, but like, hey, right. man, like, you don't feel good in your body. You're sitting at maybe 35 pounds overweight, even though people mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to tell necessarily. I feel it. I feel mm -hmm. the achiness. I feel the sluggishness. And I'm just sort of done lying to myself about it mm -hmm. and pretending it's not that. When I know for a fucking fact, it is. It's the way I'm eating, the lateness in which I'm eating. Mm -hmm. And it's my little kid protesting because we didn't go out to eat much when I was growing up. We never went on vacation. Never, like literally never. So it was my kid being like, whoa, we get to do this now? We're going to mm -hmm. fucking blow it, which has mm -hmm. had repercussions in my financial life, everything. And I'm sort of just at this crux where i'm like nah man like you know the my malign parent my uh, suzanne would call it what comes in and is just like nah <laughs> and uh i showed up with a lot of heat this morning because yesterday was day one of this mm. and not just because of that but things are going on in my relationship you know there's she's going through a big change in her job and jobs and relationships trigger me because of my mom and her job, which her relationship, my mother's was, she was in a job she hated her whole life mm. and never left it and always used it as the excuse, us as the excuse. Like, I'm doing this for you kids and I fucking hate it. So it's like, oh, you know, she never said it in the same sentence, but like, that's all you could really piece together. Mm. And so when I showed up this morning, you know, part of my practice is just coming out with it as best I can. And Suzanne got me right away. She's like, dude, it's in you, right? And we're feeling it because our practice, you know, and it may sound odd to people, but that's okay. It's it's a lot. Most of our sessions are just energy work at this point because, you know, I came in and she's like, wow, this energy feels identical to when you were complaining about money last week even mm. though it's a new subject so how do we put down the fight because that's what my go-to is to fight i love mm. the fight i get the fight where can i get friction where can i get the fight because that's how i know love that's how i know attention and so we just I'm getting, a knock, I'm getting a knock at the door so i just want to make sure really quick yeah yeah <clears throat> Thank you.
Vera, she's so cute. Sorry uh, about that. That's okay. Uh, I really want to hear this. No, yeah. I really want to. No worries, no worries. I love those girls. Um, I'm glad they're home safe. Uh, yeah. So we just she had me sit and ground, and you know I'm feeling my head be like, what the fuck? Like this taking so long? Like why does it take so long? Because I feel the anger on the left side of my body, like. It's like a ribbon through my forehead all the way to like my groin, essentially. Mm. And she's just checking in with me and she's like, ooh, the left side. She's just like, she's like, ooh, the left side of your body. Like it's it's untethered. It's untethered. Like it doesn't want to participate in this. And I was like, yeah, you're getting it right. I don't want to fucking participate in this shit. You know, I'm like, let (laughs) And But I've done this enough. And she's gotten me to a place in the session where, like, I can hear her. My higher self, a part of me that is sweet, thoughtful, soft, connected, is hearing her. But the, the, the brute, Brutus is above him, you know, and he's like watching out. Right. Right. And uh, I just kept breathing. I just kept breathing and I just kept, and we were like this for like 30 minutes and about 15 minutes in, I caught emotion. I was like, Ooh, you know? And I was like, no, 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 this isn't the session I cry in because I didn't plan (laughs) to cry today. Like I didn't, I don't have anything really to, you know, I was like feeling, and I was just like watching him go. Cause she just said, yeah, I, it, it was such a trip, man. Cause anytime something came up, she would call it out. She's like, Oh, there's that. There's he, there he is. You know? Wow. And she goes there, we just put him down and we just put him down. And she's like, Oh, there's your little boy. And as soon as she said it, I had already been feeling the nervous system regulate because we've been doing it for several minutes. And uh, she's like, your guides are showing up. Oh, it's an old man in a robe and he's right behind the boy. And, oh, he's so wise and sweet. And she's like, oh, he's picking up the boy. And by this time, I'm like totally regulated. And she's like, oh, I think the old man is you. I think that's your highest self because the boy just absorbed into him. Wow. And 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 wow. then my dad shows up and this was crazy because she's like, I'm getting emotional, but she was <laughs> such a trip until you experience this stuff. But she was like, Oh, he's showing me a Swiss army knife. And that was the first thing my dad ever gave me. Um, So that was just, (laughs) in of itself, you know, my dad passed a year ago, you know this, but for those who don't, when he shows up, it's such a fucking trip. Like, as a human, you're like, is he really there? (laughs) But then you're hearing these things that Suzanne could not possibly know. And he was just giving me the message, like, and my dad was a Navy SEAL, very brilliant guy, amazing guy, but very rigid in the sense of, like, he didn't believe in magic, if that encapsulates him the best. It was very pragmatic, practical, serious. Yeah. And he was like, I didn't believe in magic, but I do now, and you have it, so don't waste this life on the stuff we gave you and his dad also showed up and then i just and then suzanne's like "Ooh, there's like an orb that just wants to get up and out and i was like i mean we did this for 30 minutes right so this story's a bit long but all of a sudden i'm throwing up energy and this has happened probably six times in the last year where i just start and I don't throw up like from drinking, like I'm just 
And I wonder if that was like a counter, actually, now that I consider it. But mm. I started just throwing up into my trash can near where I was sitting for five to ten minutes. And she's like, yes, you know, just let that out. And it was a snotty, gross mess. And it was just okay. And she was just telling me, like, the boy, because she, she's seeing it all from her perspective. She's like, the boy keeps checking to see if I'm still here and you're still here. And he just needs to know that you're not going anywhere. And he, Sean, you don't have to do anything. And I think that's one of the hardest parts of this work is the not doing things just to be like, you know, it was kind of a trip in our end of the year workshop with Suzanne, which is like an amalgamation of everything that you went over in the year. And it's like, you know, 30 to 40 people show up. I showed up. I feel like I showed up the best I ever did because the first year I did it, I was like in the corner, sulking, shut down as fuck because I didn't feel like I was getting the attention I deserved, which was all mm -hmm. my story and all my triggers. And on this session, which is my fourth, fourth year, I was just present. I talked openly about my dad and other things and from a place of um, strength, I suppose, is the best word I can come up with. And it was a good lesson because I left and Suzanne told me, she's like, did you know that when you left, there were still like 10 people there because they all were hanging out after? She's like, one of my oldest clients came up to me and was like, who's like a 50, uh, in her 50s and identifies as queer. So, you know, she grew up in the 80s being queer. And she's like, I've never met a straight man like that. And, it, and then Suzanne was like, it was a gift. Just you being there, your presence, just being. And it was like the first time I could sort of see in action my presence being enough for somebody else and I didn't have to like because I wasn't talking the whole meeting so that's uh, in a nutshell <laughs> what happened this morning I felt that deeply with you in the journey space in particular just knowing that you're there I don't have mm. to be communicating with you in any way shape or form other than energetically your very presence is the gift yeah Thank you so much. So I guess it's learning to trust. Trust is a an interesting one, huh? The foundation of all of it. <laughs> you know, pa Paulson told me once, he's like, it's kind of crazy. I'm still chewing on it, frankly. But he's like, trust is bullshit. He's like, trust, when your trust is broken, that just means someone didn't do what you wanted them to do. Hmm. And I was like, oh. And he's like, yeah, yeah, there's a beyond. He's like, there's a beyond that. And I was like, oh, so I'm still chewing on that because I'm still getting to trust. <laughs> but I really like what he's saying because, again, it's more ownership of self. Um, yeah. and I think it's probably aspirational. And I may have misquoted, you know, this is like eight months ago he told me. Yeah. Um, but he definitely has said it before, and I just found it really profound. Yeah, I'm going to sit with that as well. I think I see how it's like everything has a shadow and a light aspect, right? Mm. Like, and I think in that shadowy aspect of trust, like that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I think maybe I was presenting trust as a weapon for my victim -y story at that time. So maybe that was just the answer he could give me in the context of it. Yeah. I think, I think like when I sit with that, I think of like trust as synonymous with surrender, mm. which I think is like maybe like the first, that's the first thing that comes into mind for me. That's like yeah. beyond trust. Like, oh, they didn't do what I wanted them to do. Like, no, it's like I surrender to what happened. Yeah. Like, like trusting that like I'm supported, trusting that mm. I'm enough, trusting that equals like surrendering to being supported, surrendering to being enough, surrendering to the beingness of this moment, right? I guess that kind of comes back down to receivership. Mm, like, yeah, it does. Receiving the moment, receiving that I like receiving that I'm enough, not not like, am I enough? Like, uh, I'm not, I don't trust mm. that I'm enough. Like, no, I surrender. 
mm. and receive my enoughness in this moment. Mm, I love that. I love that because oh, I think that's that feels right because it's like then the trust isn't so singular and dependent. It's more of like an overall trust, which then is individual to self rather than putting it on somebody else. Totally. Okay. I know you got to wrap it up. I'm so thankful for your time. Tell me if you know, like, what's the plan for your podcast? Do you have a name? Do you have, um, do you know what you're going to be doing? I'm so excited. I think it feels so good. Like I'm so, cause it's like a mix of business and entertainment because like you know we did helmet together which i'm so thankful yeah. for you absolutely fucking crushed it and you like came out of retirement to do it it was fucking <laughs> awesome and uh so this feels like a good mix of entertainment in a sense because you'll be on camera and audio obviously yeah. but getting to lay down what you want to talk about yeah for sure i think i'm gonna stick with the with the branding that i that mm. I created with psilocybin brand and keep it altered, altered podcast. Oh, um, smart. I love altered. You're, yeah, you got great the, vision, like for aesthetics. Oh God. Thank you. Thank you. Speaking of my little mushroom pillow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I think it's going to be really meaningful and just meaningful conversations about life altering experiences, life altering into a greater state of healing and consciousness, whether that's through, whatever mm-hmm. I'm talking about it and giving giving voice to it and definitely definitely hitting on uh, a lot of psychedelic stories and um getting some profound leaders in there just to to talk about their experience with it no oh, i love that I, I just had my friend sam valentine on you may have crossed paths with yeah. her at brick so yeah. she's in season six or seven of her podcast and now like it's paying for her life and like all she told me she said sean all that matters is that you do it she's like people don't give a fuck how it looks or sounds initially just do it and be she said consistent content i mean she's like one of the first sag podcasts now so she's able to even uh like put that towards her retirement and things like that so it's pretty incredible and i think you'll be up there in no time because i'll be listening that's for sure thank you sean well i'm so honored to be here with you and having this conversation and can't wait to share it with with everyone i know because you are you're a profound teacher oh thank you so much and as i do i want to end it with a little bit of love for you i love you so much i'm so proud of you i mean we've known each other through a lot of phases of our life and I could have never predicted where I'd be at today. And I wouldn't be here without you. You introduced me to the men's team and safe psychedelics in a sense. Because I was really scared, if you remember. Like, you had to invite me like 10 times. <laughs> and I'm glad you never gave up because it really did change my life. And you're such a gift to the world. So thank you. And I love you. I love you so much, Sean. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to stop the record, then we can say goodbye. Awesome. All right.